Urban Glory Radio, simply glorious. In spreading the gospel to the world, we have designed a streaming radio broadcast for every believer. This word, worship, and witness-filled broadcast streams live every week. Access episodes on demand 24 hours a day. Subscribe to our iTunes podcast and take UDR wherever you go. Visit us online at urbanglorycampaigns.webs.com. Also find us at twitter.com backslash urban underscore glory and like us on Facebook. Enjoy today's broadcast. Good evening. Thank you for listening to the broadcast tonight. This is the Urban Glory Radio where I'm your host, Reverend LaVon Breland. Thank you for listening. And we're going to be discussing our continual theme of things, the overcoming way. And we're still on volume six, I believe. And we're talking about the overcoming mandate, reviewing what we've talked about in months past, and then also bringing into um, a season of faith, an era of faith, where we indulge into the wisdom pertaining to faith. So as we look to the Word of God today, we're going to surmise this series on overcoming mandate, and then we're going to get into and hopefully introduce the new series in the month, um, in the coming months on um, overcoming by faith in the operation of God. And so I definitely want you to tune in. Let's pray and not delay. Father, we thank you and praise you for this day. Knowing that this is the day that you have made, we rejoice and are glad. We do thank you for another opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. It is the authority of your word that gives me confidence to make boldly known the mysteries of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do lean and depend on the Holy Spirit as educator and God, giving me clear articulation of speech and deliberation of thought. Holy Spirit, I say have your way. Do what only you can do. Anoint the people's ears to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. And Father, in everything that shall be accomplished and revealed, you be glorified, for it is in the name of Jesus that we do praise you and give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. We have been discussing the overcoming way, and it has been our affirmation and pursuit to know God more intimately so we can serve him more faithfully, awakening core values that establishes our convictions on the advantages that we have as a result of overcoming through Jesus Christ in the overcoming way. And so we've, what we've done is answer things systematically, establishing God's word as final authority, and this has produced in us a volume of study of through overcoming the sin, overcoming the world, and overcoming by faith. And we all do that through the lens of our theology, our God logic, as a result of us acquainting ourselves with the presence, the power, and the person of God. We have come out with thoughts that particularly focuses us and funnels the, um, causes us to function in line with his will. And that's really what our theology is. It's a functional uh, discipline involving the reflection on faith and belief in the life of a Christian as its advantages and the importance of establishing those convictions as commandments and characteristics characteristics around the discovered reflections that we've received from the presence of God. It is the God logic. And so I want to review just our theology in this last portion um, by by really giving us principles and strategies to live by, answering one particular question, what does overcoming demand? Because, see, at first we have to embrace it as a theology. We have to say, listen, God's plan, God's mind is revealed 
and and him embedding in us. You get what I'm saying? And him awakening in us the need to experience this overcoming uh, um, uh, sensation that we have in our hearts. Now let's go to uh, Romans 8. Amen. Let's just give a little foundation of the word today. Um, but it's a simple outline, and so I'm kind of slowing down a little bit just for the sake of review and highlight. But you got to give this in your DNA. And everything that involves theology and the overcoming re resolves a logic, a sequence, a, a set of, 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 of standards that can be proven over and over and over again. That's what you need. You need you need something where uh, that that is at work within you that can spark this revolution called overcoming. So we're not just singing, "We shall overcome, we shall overcome someday," but we will change our song to "We have overcome, we have overcome by faith." Amen. And so you know, I was, I was trying to sing, but I just wanted to make certain that we have. Uh, an excitement and a zeal about overcoming. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, First John 5, 4. And so uh, it is our pursuit to really embody these, these core principles that awaken this advantage that we have. And you have to see overcoming as a, a set advantage that you have over the world, a set advantage that causes you to succeed over sin, a set example that it causes you to live by faith and not by sight. And these things um, are embedded in, in the reality of who we are, what we have, and what we can do. And we must always remind ourselves of who we are, what we have, and what we can do. The scripture lets us know that I reckon that the present sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed, not on us, not with us, but in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willing, but by reason of him who hath subjugated the, of the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of the corruption of the glorious liberty of the children of God. As a result of us knowing who we are. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth and pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which are the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to whip the redemption of our body. And it says, We are saved by hope, for hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But we hope for that which we see not. Then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth us our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings and with um that which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth the mind of the Spirit, because it maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is the plan of God and the power of God and the person of God at work. And we know that all things work together for them 
for the good of them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknew he did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among really brethren. See, see, this passage is letting us know that there's a work with us. It, it has more of whom he did predestinate to them he also called, and whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified them he also glorified. What shall we say to these things if God be for us? Who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how much, um, um, how shall he not also freely give us all things? Who will lay anything against God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? Is it, is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, he, um, yea, rather that is risen again? Who is even at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or darkness or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, in all these things we are more than, what are we, more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have a consolation. We have a blessed assurance that Christ in us, knowing who we are, what we have, what do, who are we? We are made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. What do we have? We've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness in um, um, in Christ Jesus. Now let's go to Ephesians and, and, and read these scriptures. And these are just some foundation scriptures. Romans 8 um, was one of them. But let's go to the Church of Ephesus. And, of course, uh, and I'll tell you, just to give you a hint, in the next series, we're going to begin in Colossians. And, you know, when he wrote to the Col Church of Colossae, was also parallel. You can parallel that with the Church of Ephesus because he was in Rome at the time in prison writing both of those uh, letters to the church. Uh, they, they both have a passionate parallel effect uh, of the pre preeminence of Christ and the purpose of Christ's coming and also the, the 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 prescribed order of how we thrive with our new life in Christ. It is our new creation reality manifested and depicted to us in the scriptures. Those scriptures uh, that that help us have confidence in God that characterizes our faith that enables us to move, live, and have our being in Christ. And so if it, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We are more than conquerors. So, so this is what the theology builds itself on. All of these inherited promises and blessings that we have through the Lord Jesus awakens in us a revolution within our souls, within our bodies, within our circumstances, 
and we approach everything by the power that makes us triumphant in Christ. Amen? And so the Bible says in Ephesians 1, 3, it said, Blessed be the God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and, and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us according to the adoption of his children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to his good pleasures of his will, to a praise and glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted and beloved. God loves us. He accepts us. He transforms us. He completes us, in whom we have redemption through his blood. This is the Lord Jesus. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known the mysteries of his will according to his good pleasures, which he purposed within himself, that he, in the dispensation of the fullness of time, might gather all in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and that which is on the earth, even in him. This is an inward work. This is an inward stability that is fortified by the Holy Spirit that enables us to live confidently knowing who we are. And the scripture goes, uh, in whom ye also have trusted after ye have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after ye believed ye were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is of the earnest inheritance unto the redemption, which is purchased as the purpose his possession unto the praise and glory. Wherefore also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, this is your faith. You've been blessed. You've been endowed. You've been empowered. You know who you are. You know what you have. You know what you can do. This is your faith. This is what the scripture says. He says, in love, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God in our, of our Lord Jesus Christ and Father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding might be enlightened, that you might know the hope of his will to this calling, and the riches of his glory of the inheritance in the saints. This is an inward work. This is an inward stability. This is an internal uh, rejuvenation that is re that's resurrecting us into the reality of our redemption, into the reality of our righteousness, into the reality of our reconciliation with God. And if you don't have this as your logic, if you don't have this as your life pattern, then you're going to miss out on experiencing the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But see, overcoming demands some things. It's a mandate within us to say that the greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. It's a mandate to say that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That I no longer live, but the life that I live, I live now by the faith of the Son of God. It is an overcoming to, to a mandate that says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but make himself of no reputation, taking on the form and the fashion of a man. He humbled himself, and therefore God so highly exalted him. What did he have? He had a God consciousness. He had a, he had a commitment to serve. He had a character of obedience. He had credibility through his words. These same traits reside on the inside of us. This is what he has blessed us with. He has blessed us to do all things. He has blessed us to attain the will of God. He has blessed us to connect with things above where he is seated so that we can experience the goodness of the Lord and the grace and the power and the favor and the endowment of God to achieve God's best on the earth. 
But if you sit there passive and not ex- and not expect God to do things for you, this mandate will be a manipulation. People will try to su- take you out of your liberty that you found in Christ. They will try to take you out of what God has promised you and present an alternative which God has not ordained for you. But if you hear his voice today, harden not your heart. Know who you are. Know what you have and know what you can do. And see, it is in these texts that we learn, these famous scriptures that we so read so religiously, that we, 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 we miss out on the potentiality that God has. Now let's go over to Galatians. Let's go over to Galatians and, and, and fortify these things because we need to know that we must stand fast in chapter 5 of Galatians in the liberty where Christ has made us free and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Because he says, I say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. This is not just for a ritual. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is adept to, to, to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect to you. Whosoever are justified by the law, ye are fallen for grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For, Je- for in Jesus Christ neither is circumcision avail of anything for uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So in other words, when we talk about engaging into overcoming by faith, we are experiencing this principle of faith working by love. This is how the the overcoming way takes full effect. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, that we can do these things, that we can achieve who we are, what we have, and what we can do. But we got to get out of theory into practice. Now, logic demands that there are there are a sequence of thoughts that provoke us to act, and it's not until we act that we experience the the, the effects of of what is logical. So when we put Theo on that, we say God dictates what is the pattern in which we should act. It is the God logic. It is the God mandate. So we seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33, and his righteousness. We focus on what he did to achieve what, what is right before God, and then we modify and identify ourselves according to that righteousness. Now the scripture goes on to say, listen, it says, ye did one rail. Who did hinder, verse 7 in chapter 5, uh, who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not from him that calleth you. A little leaven. See, little inserts to your belief system. Little modifications that have nothing to do with the overall situation to the plan of God's liberty and God's freedom and God's power and God's force that he's embedded into you. This is what spoils the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded. Why? Because these things take place in your mind. Your mindset as a man thinketh in his heart, so is it. You are what you think. Your life state is your heart state. And as a man thinketh in his heart, so is it. Your reality is as a result of, of the guarding of your heart. And that's why when Jesus said about understanding the mysteries and giving to know the kingdom, kingdom of God, these principles cannot be conveyed with a heart that is not conditioned to receive. 
That's why when Nicodemus came unto him and he said, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus went to the natural perspective. He could not perceive the kingdom of God and the word of God which was within him. And being born again was really in, engaging into the Holy Spirit, not just being ex educationally stimulated by, by erroneous forces that don't really in, in, enlighten you to the transforming and the transfiguring power of God. See, you can have a form of godliness but deny the power, and the kingdom of God is not in word but it's in power. God wants you as a believer to have this mandate so that, that you are ordained to overcome, that it will thrust a concentration, it will thrust a consideration, it will thrust a, con a, a, a commentary and a, a, and, a, and a conversation that converts you completely and fully and, and, and engage you into who Christ is and what he has guaranteed that you will receive if you, if you allow this liberty to be found in you. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubles you shall bear judgment whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if yet I preach circumcision, why do I not yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross cease. I would they even were cut off which trouble you. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love. Glory to God. Serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed with one another. Now the scripture talks about the, the works of the flesh and it goes into what they are. And it says that the resolve is the fruit of the spirit. But then it always talks about overcoming uh, will really thrive when we're not allowing our brother to be overtaken. And that's why it says in chapter 6, Brethren, if any man be overtaken in fault, ye which are spiritual, restore as one that of the spirit with meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burden, so fulfill the law of, of Christ. If any man think of himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work. And then he shall have rejoicing in him alone, not in, in another. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in word communicate um, unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth unto the flesh shall reap of the flesh corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap what? Everlasting life. And let us not be wearying in well-doing. For he in due season we shall reap glory to God if we faint not. And as we have therefore every opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them of the household, glory to God, of faith. So everything is leading us to faith because it, it is faith that pleases God. But this, this reflection on who we are, what we have, what we can do, is, is, is evaluating itself based on our faith and belief in light of the advantages that we have in Christ. In Christ. And that's what I've been trying to teach in these in these lessons about overcoming. Now, 
I, 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 I went through it real quick last week about the Beatitudes of, of, of theology. But what I wanted to give you was just some primary tools of how you can really advance and spark this revolution in your soul. And, and you know, of course, we have to begin with being in um, uh, um, having an attitude to be systematic in our spiritual study habits. We have to we have to always uh, have a session with seasons of of of. Well, I'm, I'm skipping ahead. We have to have spiritual habits that awaken disciplines in the spirit, which means you got a stipulated time to seek and search and sanctify all that is holy and what God requires for growth. You have sessions with seasoned mothers and fathers, and you submit to their their instruction by the Holy Spirit. This is where you achieve indoctrination and righteousness. You you learn. You know, I was I was so blessed by teaching, and I, I do various studies, but every once in a while, I go back and I listen to teachings from 10, 20, 30 years ago. And I was listening to a, a, a mighty woman of God. She's still alive, and she's almost 100 now. But she was a mighty orator in the apostolic church. And I was listening to this great woman of God, um, 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 Vita Mangian, and just listening to just just the fervency behind the words of her great oratorical skills and how she she appealed to the hearts of men and women of God, even though not really necessarily being accepted as a as a spiritual leader or authority, but because of the grace of God that was on her life and the anointing that was packed beyond her study and the, and the richness and content, even those that weren't even embracive of that type of order had to sit there and say, "This is." The Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. And so, you know, I salute the woman of God and I think she's an honorable woman of God. But more than that, I just use that as an example that sometimes in life you need to sit down and shut up and listen to someone else who knows a lot more than you. And you got to humble yourself in order to do that. You got to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And, and no matter who you are, you are never too big. To hear something else that, that helps you go greater and helps you go higher in the things of God. So you got to have sessions. You have to be stipulated time sessions with saints and saints. And then you got to have a specific library of resources that help, your, um, help you experience, empower, and enhance your biblical worldview. You got to have books. You got to open it up and read. So, so we have to be systematic in our spiritual study habits. That's number one. Number two, we have to be selective about how we build upon our theology. Now, remember, I told you that theology, what theology is not, and I told you what theology is, and I told you there's, there's also some myths around theology. I said that theology answers and seeks for meaning about God and how He affects our life. Theology alters um, and reforms the state of our spiritual development through a search for meaning and considerations to deeper and wider ranges of truth. Theology awakens prophetic awareness. It, it, it's by articulating experiences and encounters with God's power, God's presence, and God's perspectives in time in time contexts. 
but then it also adds knowledge to the practices that we deem as acts of faith, given in attention to how we display what we've learned, why we believe, and what we believe through what others also believe and why they believe. So then theology then advances our behavior through a perpetual pursuit to know God more perfectly and more intimately so that we can serve him more faithfully. So a lot of times people confuse theology with attending Bible school. Just because you go to Bible school and seminary don't mean that you're a theologian. It's a condition of the heart. Theology is a self-pursuit that is underlying first developing the knowledge and the nature of God to define the disciplines and the practices of faith. You know, then we say that theology is all theoretical. No, theology is not theoretical. It only explores ideas about God, but it not only explores ideas about God, but it also defines how we best adapt to those discovered discoveries practically. Can we apply these to our lives? So this is a life learning and a life ever growing and expanding endeavor and adventure. Theology is not necessary is not necessary to be a Christian. It is impossible for a person of faith not to have a plan or a purpose as to why they choose to believe it. So we always have a theology. We always have a theology. So in so in life we've learned that theology starts with a premise that we have an advantage beyond the advantages uh, uh, that we can gain through our own success and competencies. Because we know initially standing with God and believing in God requires us to go beyond what the natural mind can conceive. We know that theology stresses the Christ factor as the central vital means to why we have confidence to look over and above and to overcome and our pursuits and rights um, through this awareness awakens a righteousness that we have to achieve. And we can only achieve it through Christ because he has been, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So he is the revelation of our righteousness. He is the revelation of our redemption. That's why we study him. But theology sees these challenges as opportunities for God to reveal himself in context of the scripture and his willingness to work with us and in us to overcome. And this is his reconciliation plan. Not only does he want us to be a, 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 a slave but he, or, or a servant, but he wants us to be a son of God and an heirs according to the promise. That's why in Hebrews chapter 10 he writes the laws on our hearts and on our minds so we can serve him internally. This is what Ephesians, Galatians, and Romans all emphasize an inward stability that is fortified by the Holy Ghost. So so we have to be systematic, but we have to be selective about how we build upon our theology because there's a difference between an open open to viewpoints than it is in the embracing every new viewpoint because everybody is not set to give you the word of what thus saith the Lord. There's a difference between rethinking your convictions than logical assumptions that's disguised as theology by erroneous logical uh, uh, errors or fallacies. 
And I always tell people, when you're studying what you believe, study what people do to believe to manipulate others in believing. So you have the bandwagon and you have all these types. There's over 13 types of logical fallacies that you need to learn so that when somebody's presenting what they claim as truth is, you need to make certain that you're just not embracing it just because it sounds different or because it's been presented in a different way. You have to be always guided by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives you God's big picture, God's vantage point, and God's viewpoints. So you have to be selective. And the Bible teaches discernment. The Bible teaches submission to the Holy Spirit. He also teaches that the Holy Spirit is the one that orchestrates you to the truth, that leads and guides you to the truth. So if the person presenting an idea that they believe is a part of the logic of God, but it doesn't come in the timing and the sensitivity to the Spirit of God, it's erroneous. And this is what we have to teach in the church again because we have a lot of people that are doing things that seem and appear godly, but it's not, which means we got to develop theological tools. That means we have to have targeted themes, traceable fact findings. We have to test for relevance, and we got to ask tough questions. But not only that, we got to have triggers for faith to take its place. Oh, glory to God. That means we got to trust the Holy Spirit to be God, to assist us in the process. And then thirdly, in our Beatitudes, we got to be spiritually guided, enhancing and enlightening the theological process perpetually. Because it's not a one-stop shop. You don't just get it from taking a set of classes. You don't just get it. You get it from a time, a life pursuit. Those who, the Bible says, panteth after the water brook. So my soul longeth for thee. Those are those that find quenches of their thirst in the thirsty land or, or quenches, quenches for their thirst in the thirsty land. They, they authorize the Holy Spirit in their reality. They adapt to the lifestyle devoted to discipleship, and they allow discernment and, and developments from the Holy Spirit um, to be experienced by pursuing the presence of the Holy Spirit. I need your presence, Holy Spirit, to guide me, to lead me, to sustain me, to affirm me, to acknowledge the needs of emphasis, to, to awaken me to things I cannot see and perceive with my natural senses, to, to, to enable and, and an anoint and, and consecrate within me a courageousness to pursue God more intimately, more passionately, more, more, more uh, consistently. And God is willing. God is willing to engage in whatever means and whatever manner to help us and assist us with these things. And so it gets me into my points for tonight. Overcoming a mandate requires principles, which is wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. We're engaging in the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of God. We find out what overcoming demands it. And we, we, can, we can summarize it in these three simple things, and then in the next teaching we'll be able to amplify it. But number one, we, we, we know that overcoming demands a competence of the context of Scripture. You can see the Bible says the letter killeth, but the Spirit give life. There are people that are ever perceiving but never coming into the knowledge of the truth. And if the word can be wrongly divided, it must be rightly divided. So in order to rightly divide the, the word of truth, we have to become acquainted with the Holy Spirit and the, and the overall big picture in God's plan. There's one message to the Scripture. 
scripture and one resolve, and it's all found in the Lord Jesus. And as we approach the Lord Jesus as the architect, as the revelation of the scripture, it unfolds to us the big picture, the context. The context. When I say I have a context of Scripture, I grasp the core of the gospel. I find out what is that good news. I find out what we are, what we have, and what we can do. I group principles and precepts according to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, I grasp an order of the spiritual disciplines that I've grasped in doctrines, and I and I and I and I stipulate them in notes that I can repeat over and over and over again. You got to get organized. See, if you're going to be competent in the context of Scripture, you can have a counterfeit study habit where you just haphazardly study the Word of God, where you don't seek first, where He is not a first priority. You can't, you can't religiously look at the Scriptures and expect to find out a realistic approach. Because religion will, will force a regimen when, when, when a realistic approach will require a relationship with the truth, a, a reverence for the Holy Spirit, a, a, rever, a review of things that are commonly overlooked. And these are all confined in the context, in your competency. See, if you have the mind of Christ and you have the authority which Christ has given you, oh, my Lord, I thank you for the anointing on this word. If you can hear this, you just won't be no silly Christian or some silly church person that's just saying, you know, he may not come when you want him, but he's always on time. God is good all the time. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. See, see, that's what they want you to do. The, the world wants you to conform to the, to the patterns and the functions that keeps that keeps real um, real relevant revelation just numb to religious rituals and rhetoric. As long as you have rhetoric, you have no power. But if you start having a revelation based on the competency that you have in the context, the big picture, and you, and you don't just pull out a verse and say, okay, I'm going to use this for whatever I need, but you allow the Holy Spirit to translate the truth out of the Scripture, and you get an overall worldview based on the Bible's imprints and impressions and patterns, and you learn this Bible. See, if you abide in me, the Scripture says, and my word abides in you, then you can approach me with something. I'll give you answers that the world can't give you. I'll give you insights. This is what the Lord is saying to us and his people today. See, if you seek me first, if you if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, if you're persistent and you endure and you study to show yourself, not to try to be a sophisticated scholar that speaks sound, sound sweetness to, the, to society who means nothing to your pursuit, but you concentrate on developing a competency. God, I want to grasp the core. I want to group the principles, and I want to grasp the order in, in Scripture. I want to take. I want to have something that I can live on, and then I can transmit from generation to generation and go over and above and beyond. See, God say, "Oh, you got my attention, and you really want to know me. You really want to know me." This comes from a competence of the context of the Scriptures. See, He knows if you don't have the discipline to look in chapter and verse, there is no need to give you a perception that per, per, um, prevails off of the, the, the provokes um, that comes through the supernatural presence of God. You don't even know he's moving. You don't even know he's speaking because you don't have any patterns to follow. 
and and you don't you're not taking an, you're not approaching the the pieces of paper which preserves history of the supernatural that if you study and seek for yourself will then evoke and provoke a revelation knowledge to thrive off these pages and cause the spirit to breathe life on them and change your life. See see you can you can have an appreciation for the academic study of scripture. But comprehension of the context of Scripture requires you to have a relationship, which brings me to my second point. You have to not only have a competency of the context of the Scripture, but you have to have character modifications to sonship. you got to have character modifications to sonship. Now, sonship is a loaded word. It's a loaded concept that implies that you are led by the Spirit of God, that you have no confidence in the flesh, but you have learned to condemn sin in the flesh that you... And you've acquainted yourself with righteousness that you have confidence to approach God boldly. Because you see, see when I say character, character modification, see the power and the presence of God through our demands of overcoming will cause us to embody the convictions of Christ, to empower spiritual supplication. That means that means we res, we reserve based on our context of the scripture. Based on our grasping, our grouping, and our graphing these things orderly, when that order finally functions and takes place, we will embody those convictions and empower those through supplication. We'll keep that reserve as a source of power, and then we'll equip our heart through holiness and humility. Meaning, God, as I'm awakening and open to what you have to say and what you have to do. I'm also aware that you, you're helping me refine my life to what is right. You're helping refine my life through changing the way I think through repentance. You, you're helping me refine my life through reverencing your son, Jesus Christ. And not only am I embodying and empowering and equipping this through, through character modification, through sonship, but lastly... I have courage, courageousness to focus through spiritual submission through the Holy Spirit. I sync with the plans of God. I structure myself in the path of God. And then I'm also sensitive to the timing of God. You know, I'll never forget when I was doing a teaching on spiritual foundations. I call it the perfecting process. Where God takes us through Hebrews and he, he tells us that by the time you ought to be teachers, I need to teach you that which is primary. And if you don't know what is primary, I can't permit you to go on to things that require maturity. And then he challenges those people that have, have grasped the things that they consider minute and foundational. Glory to God. Um, at that point, that there are some that have attained such knowledge and have turned away. And it's as if they have they have totally put Jesus back on the cross and said, when you died on the cross the first time, it didn't work. And he said, for them, because of their arrogancy and because of their ambitions and because of their, their attitudes, they will never experience spiritual maturity that comes through a competence of the context of the scriptures, character modifications through sonship, and a courageous focus through submission to the Holy Spirit because it's always been about them. I love I love how the appeal to faith qualifies 
the core of the gospel, that ultimately when we talk about we want to overcome faith, we're really talking about we're trying to find how it, what it means to please God. That's really what we're doing. We're trying to find out what it means to please God. What does it mean to please God? Because we know that anything that's not done in faith is sin. We know that anyone that comes to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we're not only finding out what what pleased God, but we're also, glory to God, I just sense the anointing, we're also fellowshipping with God to discover real life. Because in him we move, live, and have our being. But not only that, we're forming meaning for life above the norms and above the standards of the world. And we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that enables us to live the Christian life. And so, I'm never, I'm, my time is out, up, but I'm out, not out of content. We're getting ready to approach faith. And we're going to study and we're going to begin in the book of Colossians and we're going to...